This is Polyoptics. Shining a light on the theater of politics. Now, from Washington, D.C., here's Adam Belmar. Thanks for joining us as we pull back the curtain on the events that shape American politics and drive the images and headlines. Polyoptics, the only show of its kind on the air today, and it's only on POTUS, Politics of the United States. Today we speak to the deputy mayor of New York City, a man who helped run Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign in 2008 and has been one of the go-to communications guys in the Democratic Party for decades. Howard Wolfson joins the conversation on a week that his boss, Mayor Mike Bloomberg, played host to the President of the United States at Ground Zero after the killing of Osama bin Laden. Then, we speak to former Bush White House Communications Director Calvin Sullivan, a frank discussion on the events of this week and what comes next as the president turns his focus towards the 2012 re-elect. I'm joined by Josh King, co-founder of the website polyoptics.com. Josh, of course, was production chief in the Clinton administration as I was production chief in the George W. Bush administration. Josh, it's great to have you here. Adam, great to be with you. This is the week of polyoptics, Sunday night. Most of us asleep, some of us maybe catching the final innings of the baseball game. And here comes that breaking news, the anchors in somber fashion breaking into airtime. The announcement in the East Room that Osama bin Laden has been killed. The release for the next morning's papers of the White House photo of President Obama, Vice President Biden, and their national security team watching the events unfold in Abbottabad. And then the ongoing debate throughout the week of whether to release a proof-of-death photo of Osama bin Laden. No week has been like this, I think, going back many years about the debate over polyoptics. I can tell you that, uh, you know, when I served President Bush, I was on pins and needles every day and every night that this was going to happen on my watch. And it was something that, you know, we certainly wanted to have happen. Uh, I think everyone was praying that justice was going to be delivered to Osama bin Laden in one form, or fashion. But the president's leadership here in authorizing a mission uh, literally on spec, born of great intelligence, and then bringing it forward in such a timely way to the American people, I think has gone a long way towards uh, giving him the credentials that he has uh, not necessarily cemented until now as the commander-in-chief, Josh. Incredibly gutsy call, Adam. Uh, You know, I've written at Polyoptics about the catastrophe at Desert One uh, when President Carter authorized a mission to liberate the hostages held in Tehran. Uh, we've we've read the book by Mark Bowden and seen the movie Black Hawk Down about the uh, what happened to our soldiers in Mogadishu. And to decide to actually send in, uh, send in special forces and capture or kill Osama bin Laden... Uh, and risking uh, risking another one of those episodes and what happened to those presidents uh, after those events happened, uh, really a hard call to make. Transcends politics, uh, and I think Americans are happy about that, although there are political elements here. I, I think that the president was well served by utilizing the East Room and the cross hallway the way that he did. I appreciated, uh, from a polyoptics perspective, the very bright, very well lit, very iconic image of him making strides down the cross uh, hallway towards the Blue Goose podium. And speaking directly to camera, I felt as though President Obama was looking directly at me uh, and and speaking to me and and helping me understand not only what happened, but how it came to be. Um, And to be sure, from my own opinion, the idea 
that the president has now shared that it is would be inappropriate to share that picture, the kill shot, if you will, of Barack Obama seems correct to me. Uh, I don't know that any good could come of it. And to be sure, I think most of the world uh, is convinced at this point that, that Saddam Hussein is dead. Well, I, I disagree with you in one sense, and I certainly agree with you in another sense. On your, on your feelings about the East Room, I had a real problem with that. Um, you, you know that what, hap- what had to have happened on Sunday as a practitioner of this art is that certain uh, uh, broadcast producers would have been needed to have been alerted about a potential event late Sunday night. A lighting package needed to have been ordered and shipped to the White House and then set up. And, and then what actually happened is the president uh, did a what's known as a walkout in which we get to see him walking toward the camera and coming to the Blue Goose podium and giving a speech directly into a camera in a room that, frankly, is made for large events. And to have it as a stage set for a single guy talking into a camera when 100 yards away sits the very office in which he has to make these critical decisions and in which presidents over the decades have used to import to impart grave or celeb- or news like this uh, I felt <laughs> I gotta say I felt a little bad for the Oval Office because as we get farther and farther uh, away and we saw what President George W. Bush did um, in his speeches uh, in front of the uh, Statue of Liberty and Mount Rushmore and Jackson Square um, and what President Obama has sort of shied away from using the Oval Office that is a place where the president works and makes these decisions, and I thought it could have been used as the place where he delivered this important news. I hear you, uh, and and I appreciate that this is a logistical issue as well. Uh, having done some reporting, I appreciate the fact that uh, a very hustle and bustle West Wing on a weekend uh, where uh, things were continuing to happen in a fluid manner all the way up until uh, the time the president addressed the nation would have really been compounded in its difficulty by bringing journalists into the West Wing and opening up the the Oval Office for the hours that it takes to to do this kind of uh, address to the nation. You know, we did in the Bush administration a direct-to-camera address by the president, address to the nation in exactly the same place. It was surrounding the financial crisis. It was not our finest moment. Um, You know, the president was working on the speech right up until go time, and uh, there were issues surrounding that speech. But I do believe that the grand foyer, the cross hall can be appropriate. And I'm a little bit more wary, uh, and, and perhaps even because President Obama has been circumspect about using the Oval as a as a place to stage addresses uh, in his presidency, that, that going there might have portended something even graver. And this was something that to me uh, was very serious, but it was a cause for great elation and great American pride. And, uh, you know, I almost didn't care where he was. Uh, he carried the day himself. Yeah. And, and I think you make a very valid point about the uh, about the need to sort of compartmentalize the 18 acres to keep the uh, East Room and the Executive Mansion a place where you could actually shuttle report uh producers and lighting technicians in and out well the west wing almost remains sacrosanct for the for doing all the work that they actually needed to do on sunday the other thing that i really agreed with you too is uh is about the release of the the death photo of osama bin laden i don't think there's a a win either way but i but i took 
to heart what President Obama is, uh, is saying on 60 Minutes that, you know, we don't need to take a victory lap in this case and we don't need to show trophies. Uh, there's enough evidence. And even if a photo were to be put out, there'd be as many naysayers as they are today, probably. Yeah. We have a great show. We're going to talk uh, with Howard Wolfson, uh deputy mayor of New York City and uh, somebody who has run political campaigns, including the 2008 campaign with Senator uh, Hillary Clinton at that time. And then we're going to take a turn, Josh, and talk uh, to former White House communications director and my former boss, Kevin Sullivan. Uh, I'm really, really excited about Howard Wolfson. Josh, you, you, you really were instrumental in helping to get Howard on with us today. Uh, go ahead and, uh, and, and take us right there to that conversation. Howard Wolfson and I go back to the 1990s in Washington, D.C. We competed for the title of worst poker player in our weekly game of political types with thin wallets, and mine got a lot thinner than Howard's. He was, back then, executive director of the Democratic Con- Congressional Campaign Committee. But as I found over our various losing poker hands that Howard was also a baseball fan of the highest order, is also a critic of rock music with truly professional chops. But that's the Howard most people don't know. He gravitated back to New York, worked for Chuck Schumer during his Senate run in 98, then helped a certain first lady, Hillary Rodham Clinton, take over Pat Moynihan's Senate seat in 2000. After Hillary was re-elected in 2006, her sights turned to the White House and Howard was there by her side, until that day on June 7th, 2008, when she finally said, Although we weren't able to shatter that highest, hardest glass ceiling this time, thanks to you, it's got about 18 million cracks in it. Now, as deputy mayor of New York City, Howard has another high-profile boss, the three-term Michael Bloomberg, who himself has to beat back persistent rumors that he may make a run for the presidency. Howard's presence at his side and the experience he has in national campaigns tends to feed speculation that doesn't do a lot to damp that down. But as we welcome him to Polyoptics, what we really want to know from Howard Wolfson is whether he agrees that Lil Wayne hasn't made a good CD since the Carter II. Howard? <laughs> I'm not sure that I could offer a, uh, a very intelligent opinion on that uh, topic, but uh, your introduction was very nice, so I thank you, and good to be with you. It's been a big week for New York City with the death of Osama bin Laden, President Obama visiting. This couldn't have developed more than a few days ago when news came from the White House. What goes into New York hosting such an impromptu visit for a visit to a firehouse, a police precinct, and ultimately laying a wreath at ground zero? Well, this is obviously an important moment for New York and for New Yorkers. There are a lot of uh, mixed emotions here. Um, uh, but, you know, New York is used to holding big events. Uh, we're used to having presidents uh, come up uh, and visit with us, uh, sometimes even just for dinner. And um, I, I think, uh, you know, the NYPD... Is used to working very closely with the uh, Secret Service. I think it all went off without a hitch. As being deputy mayor uh, of New York, it it, uh, it it does get to top of mind that uh, when the president of the United States is in your town of all towns, uh, it can you know snarl traffic and and bring what could be the normal flow of a day to a halt for some, even on a day like today where uh, the images of of President Obama with the firefighters and the New York uh, Police Department, and then, of course, down at Ground Zero, are so poignant. Uh, was that a factor? Were, were, did things just get all snarled up down there during the event? Well, we do appreciate when the president uh, takes the helicopter in from, uh, from the airport rather than driving from JFK. Uh, that helps a little bit. I don't think anybody here begrudges uh, president coming to visit us. Um, it's an honor 
when the president comes, any president. Um, does it create some logistical issues? Yes. Um, are there some people who are inconvenienced? Yes. Uh, but uh, this is a this is an important historic day, and I don't think anybody is uh, really focusing that much on the mundane issues like traffic. Although you obviously try to uh, make yourself aware of what streets are going to be closed. Uh, there were some street closings down here in Lower Manhattan, um, but uh, you know most people I saw weren't uh, weren't grumbling particularly about it. Howard, I, I worked down near Ground Zero at the World Financial Center. I actually watched the wreath laying from a seventh floor perch. And I also watched out of the corner of my eye coverage on uh, the national cable networks. And I was amazed by the national correspondents who came in who seemed to look at the construction site and saying, when is something going to rise here? As a guy who's watched every floor of, uh, of the New World Trade Center 1 go up floor by floor and seeing the museum take shape and the other buildings, uh, what, what, don't, uh, what doesn't a national audience appreciate about what's had to happen to make to bring Ground Zero back to life? Well, this is the largest and most complex construction site uh, in North America. There's probably something in uh, China that uh, is bigger, but uh, in, in this continent, this is the biggest. And you have a number of overlapping jurisdictions uh, who are involved in the effort. Uh, you have uh, some real set of security concerns, uh, and you had a, uh, a somewhat noisy, sometimes contentious, uh, always engaged democratic process around what the a site would look like uh, back when um, the rebuilding was first conceived uh, 10 years ago, roughly 10 years ago. Um, but it's absolutely taking shape now in a, a very dramatic way, as you point out, um, it's a, a very busy site. Uh, buildings are going up. Um, we will have uh, on uh, September 11th of this year a uh, very fitting uh, memorial uh, open uh, for those who want to come and uh, remember and pay their respects. Um, downtown New York is uh, is back. Uh, it's back in a in a major way. It looks a little different, obviously, uh, than it did. Uh, Ten years ago, we've lost uh, our iconic buildings and uh, so many of our friends and neighbors. Uh, but um, this is a, a vibrant uh, residential area, a vibrant business area. And uh, the Ground Zero site is, uh, is getting uh, larger and bigger every day. One of the things that uh, we talk about here on Polyoptics, Howard, is the compelling elements uh, of visual communication that mean a great deal to communicating with the public at large and creating a connection and, and helping to bolster a narrative and, and make things memorable. Uh, your boss has been very effective at that. Uh, he is uh, following in the footsteps, I think, of, of Mayor Giuliani and being a face and a name that is known not only throughout the United States, but really throughout the world. And New York is a very international um, city. Your experience with Hillary Clinton, your experience in the national political process, I, I assume has really guided your thoughts on this process of, of sort of polyoptics. Is this something that you bring to the table in appreciation of the visual elements of communication uh, to your job uh, with the, the mayor of New York? Um, when I'm asked my opinion on this topic, uh, I try to think uh, and ask myself, what would Josh King do? Um, <laughs> and uh, be guided by that. Uh, you know, this is not uh, my area of expertise. There are a lot of people uh, who do this much better than I do, who uh, just have a brilliant sense of, uh, of optics. Josh, uh, certainly one of them. Um, 
You know, the, the mayor uh, did give a, a pretty important speech uh, last year around the uh, controversy over the, um, the proposed mosque uh, and community center uh, at uh, Ground Zero uh, and did it with the Statue of Liberty in the, in the backdrop. Um, I can't take credit for that. That was uh, my colleague Stu Lozier came up with that idea. Uh, but, you know, visual, uh, visuals matter a great deal. I mean, you look at how much the uh, pictures that were released uh, yesterday or a couple of days, I guess, two days ago from the White House, the uh, pictures of the Situation Room, how much they drove this narrative, how much uh, attention they got. Um, you know, visuals matter an awful lot. You know, it's very interesting that you bring that up because uh, for Josh and I, we, we, we live and, and breathe a lot of these images. And, you know, that one image in particular that I think you may be referring to in the Situation Room included the Secretary of State Hillary Clinton with her hand over her mouth. And, uh, you know, everybody's intently looking at what we can't be sure. We know it's during the raid, but there's an emotion and a vitality to her response that was drawing almost all attention. And I heard her uh, just yesterday saying, in the instant that that picture was taken, I couldn't tell you what was going on. You've been in moments like that, response moments, and been with uh, with political leadership. It really does communicate a sense uh, of of interest and a sense of engagement uh, when we see those kind of images, doesn't it, Howard? Uh, it does, uh, and um, uh, they're very dramatic uh, pictures. Um, hard to know, obviously, uh, what they were looking at. That's one of the, 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 as you point out, the striking elements is that you can see the faces of people, uh, but not what the people were looking at. Um, and I read today that uh, Secretary Clinton actually was speculating that perhaps she was uh, stifling a, uh, a sneeze, um, some kind of spring allergy. I don't know whether she was uh, saying that uh, humorously or not, but uh, clearly a tense moment um, and, a, and a very, very powerful uh, a photograph. I saw that today too, Howard, uh, about the news from Rome that she speculated it was allergy. And, you know, it made me wonder as I thought about the conversation that we're going to have for you that um, there but for a few primaries and caucuses might have gone uh, President Hillary Clinton and Press Secretary or Communications Director Howard Wolfson. And you and I have talked a couple times, and I've actually followed your tweets, and I see the things that you're involved here in New York about bike lanes and school chancellors and uh, new parks and the vitality of the world's biggest city. But can you sort of contrast about where you thought your life might have been heading sometime in 2008 and where you find yourself today? Well, it was obviously my sincere hope uh, that uh, then Senator Clinton was going to get elected president and I'd have the honor and the privilege of working for her in the White House. Um, that did not uh, not turn out uh, the way uh, I had hoped it would and a lot of people hoped it would. Uh, I feel very lucky and privileged that uh, I have the opportunity that I have now. Um, Mike Bloomberg, is a, he's a great mayor. He's also a great boss. You know, obviously, when you're working in local government, I mean, there are days when I, I'm focusing on um, literally, uh, you know, how we fill potholes. Um, but there are other days where, uh, because this is New York and because it's Mike Bloomberg, uh, we focus on other things like, um, you know, the free speech implications of uh, of whether or not a mosque uh, gets uh, situated uh, close to Ground Zero. So. Lots of different things every different day. Um, I think this is the greatest city in the world. I've always thought that. I always thought when I was in another city, uh, it was a sort of a form of exile away from this one. 
and uh, you know it's a it's it's a it's a, a privilege to to serve the city that you love so much. Adam was just asking you about your take on the polyoptic elements of serving as a leader, either on the national level or or in a city like New York. But I'm sure there's no place uh, in the United States and very few places in the world that have a media culture quite like this city's. And it's often about the pictures. It's often about the photo or how the photo is manipulated on the cover of the New York Post or the Daily News. But more than any other city, it is about the words and the variety of people out there who are creating them. And in your work for Senator Schumer, for Senator Clinton, for candidate Clinton, and now Mayor Bloomberg, you you more than anyone else have a sense of the rhythm, I think, of how the media in this town works. And for our listeners on Sat- XM Sirius Satellite Radio around the country who are wondering how this city's media culture works, can you can you give us your thoughts on that? Well, I'd say a couple of things. One, if, you, if you're in the political communications business, um, there's no better place to work than New York because this is probably the last city in the country that has, um, you know, uh, four daily newspapers covering uh, us. Uh, Most places don't have two anymore, um, and some places don't even really have one. So the fact that we have uh, the Post, the News, the Times, the Wall Street Journal all covering us on a daily basis makes the job uh, exciting, makes it challenging, makes it interesting. Um, we have a, a very robust political communications journalism culture here. And then, of course, this is the capital of the nation's media. So um, the nightly news, uh, all the networks is filmed from here. You have uh, uh, Morning Joe is here and CNN is here. Uh, Fox is here. Uh, and so uh, if you're going to if you're going to do this uh, and you're going to be involved in communications, this is really the place to do it. Howard, you're joining us here in Polyoptics on POTUS, uh, Sirius XM 124, and the the show that we do, the conversations that we have, uh, really center around the expertise, and, and uh, having this conversation with you this week, of all weeks, it makes me want to know, on a personal level, where were you when you learned of uh, Osama bin Laden's death, and, and what was the reaction of the Bloomberg administration? Um, I had uh, put my uh, daughter to sleep and was uh, on the couch uh, watching television and uh, I was on uh, Twitter uh, and uh, saw all of a sudden um, journalists in D.C. begin to tweet that the president was going to address the nation at 1030. This was, I guess, a little bit after 10 o'clock or right around then. And I said to myself... um, uh, that there's only one piece of news that the president would announce in this way that would be good, and that that was the capture of the death of Osama bin Laden. And anything else that he would possibly want to say to the nation on 30 minutes' notice at 10 o'clock on a Sunday night would be bad. Uh, so I called the mayor. Mayor um, uh, reached him, and um, uh, he was uh, aware of it. And uh, by the time the president spoke, uh, had uh, been in contact with uh, uh, members of the administration. And um, um, the police commissioner um, made the decision. We have, I think, the best police commissioner in the country in Ray Kelly. Police commissioner made the decision to, to extend the shift of the uh, uh, force that was on overnight so that uh, we had a, uh, a more robust uh, force than usual uh, that morning for the commute. Um, and I think uh, I didn't... Uh, actually see much of a difference, but uh, I saw uh, press reports and others that uh, people were seeing 
uh, more officers with uh, with guns and uh, large guns and whatnot in the subways. Um, so you know the the the, the interesting thing about uh, New York, or among the many interesting things, is that you know we have been uh, the the subject of of now unfortunately um, so many terrorist attacks or near attacks um, that uh, we're kind of used to this. Uh, we're used to being a terrorist target. Uh, we're used to um, uh, police on the subways. Uh, you know, we we know when you uh, see something to say something. Uh, in a way, maybe uh, other other cities in America don't have that sense. Um, so I, I wouldn't say that th- this is uh, totally routine, um, but I, I think people have become somewhat habituated to uh, the reality that there are people out there who want to do harm to us, and that um, thankfully we have a very robust um, and alert and well-led police force that uh, stands between us and them. You know, people are, are also understanding what Twitter has brought uh, to our communication, even learning more about how it impacted uh, the events of Sunday night and, and this week. It turns out that while the Pakistani air defenses were not aware that, that uh, the American forces were uh, making the way to Abbottabad, and then affecting this raid, there was someone nearby who was sort of live tweeting the entire event, being on the leading edge of this kind of communication, having reached out for the mayor um, and making sure that the appropriate things, of course, that that are appreciable by the common man in the public, uh, these reinforce uh, the leadership elements. Uh, the social media is not something that you can ignore at, at any level, and especially including in, in the biggest city in this nation. Well, uh, Josh uh, referenced uh, at the top, um, we, we've had a lot of discussion here about the uh, value and efficacy of, uh, of bike lanes. Um, uh, we believe that uh, uh, we ought to be providing uh, additional transportation options and choices for New Yorkers. So people who want to bike to work or uh, bike on an errand or bike for fun should be able to do so uh, safely and easily. Um, some people don't necessarily agree with that, but and, then, and that's okay. But um, the, the, my efforts uh, to communicate uh, around that issue uh, engender an enormous reaction online. There are a lot of uh, uh, bike uh, fans and bikers, uh, cyclists online uh, and on Twitter especially. And so, you know, when I tweet something about bikes, there there's a lot of interaction, and um, I, I try to respond um, to people who um, have questions or comments, um, whether it be on Facebook or uh, Twitter. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't I don't always do it. Uh, sometimes, if the tone of the person, you know, seems um, like the conversation would be unproductive, I don't engage in it. Uh, but you know, people who have questions uh, generally have a you know uh, I generally do what I can to answer them, and um, uh, I think that uh, when you when you engage social media in an interactive process where you recognize it's it's a two-way conversation, uh, both you and the obviously the person at the other end uh, are better off. Howard, going back to 2008, just along those lines, as you think about the best that that the Clinton campaign was able to put up in social media and the benchmark that the Obama campaign was able to do. Did you come out of that campaign and say, I got to get better at this or I want to appreciate this more? Yes, uh, without a doubt. Um, I think the Obama campaign did a much better job of uh, 
of uh, engaging uh, social media than we did. Now, I think that there were uh, some structural reasons around that. I think um, MySpace, certainly at the time, um, Facebook to a lesser extent than MySpace, but still somewhat more the case uh, then, uh, was disproportionately um, engaged by younger people who were disproportionately, compared to us, uh, Senator Obama supporters. So you had, and again, I think this is less true now, uh, but, but then I think um, people who were most active on MySpace and Facebook were probably people who were younger. Not everyone, obviously, but but the, but uh, if you sort of looked at it in, in Toto, and these were people who were more inclined to be Senator uh, than Senator Obama's supporters uh, in the first place. But having said that, I think um, uh, what they did especially well was that they allowed um, their supporters and fans on social media, especially Facebook, to um, engage one another. Um, better than we did. Um, and uh, they allowed, uh, maybe allows not the right word, encouraged um, uh, their uh, uh, supporters on Facebook to form sort of their own communities um, uh, better than we did. And, uh, you know, every, every four years there's a different technology uh, or utility that is... Um, Taken up in the context of a presidential campaign, uh, Josh will remember the days when uh, you know faxing was um, <laughs> was sort of an exciting new way to communicate with people. Don't quickly. age me, please. Um, and uh, you know, then it was email, um, cell phones, and um, you know, in 2004, Howard Dean was propelled by the you know by email and uh, by fundraising on the internet, and in 2008, I think. Uh, then uh, Senator Obama was uh, helped enormously by the uh, by the relatively new uh, phenomenon of uh, of uh, social networking, and um, uh, we were we were a half step behind him. We got better as the campaign went on, and um, uh, at certain points in the campaign, we actually our, our fundraising online became very very robust. But online fundraising is not necessarily the same thing as social media, uh, and vice versa, and. Um, it did. It did make me want to um, engage it more. And then, you know, I don't know if Twitter was around in 2008. I think it was. Uh, I wasn't on it. Um, and, um, but now, you know, I, I, again, I don't know a single journalist or a, a single um, um, person in my in my job uh, who was not on it and engaged in it. Howard Wilson, uh, we're very grateful that you took some time to speak to us in this busy week. Uh, you are uh, a leader there in New York City and uh, someone with phenomenal experience in political communication. We're, we're very grateful to have you on Polyoptics. I'm happy to do it. Uh, look forward to chatting again. Thanks, Howard. All right. Bye-bye. We are joined now by Kevin Sullivan, former White House Communications Director. I should also let you know, those of you who are listening to us on POTUS, Sirius XM 124 here on Polyoptics, that Kevin Sullivan was my boss. He hired me as his deputy, and I worked with Kevin in the White House for the last two years of the administration. It's great to have you on Polyoptics. Thanks for having me, Adam. Best move I ever made. I appreciate that, Sully. Those who know Kevin Sullivan best can call him Sully, and we'll do that today. Um, this has been one heck of a week, something that I know you uh, probably gave an inordinate amount of thought to while you were 
the communications director for President George W. Bush. You uh, are a consultant today, the founder of Kevin Sullivan Communications. But uh, early on in your career, you were doing communications in the sporting world. Give us a quick thumbnail of the things that brought you forward towards your political activity. Well, I started with the Dallas Mavericks. The first year of the franchise was there a long time. Went from there to NBC Sports. After the Athens Olympics, had the opportunity following the merger with uh, Universal to hop the fence to the corporate side. And it was while I was working uh, as a senior VP of corporate communications at NBC Universal that I got a phone call from a woman I had never heard of named Margaret Spellings. And she she was talking to me about a job heading up communications at the U.S. Department of Education. I, I wanted to help her. I was flattered at the invitation, but I had absolutely no interest in making this move from New York to Washington and entering this crazy world that I really knew very little about. And uh, she looked at me across the table uh, at the Majestic Diner in Alexandria, an old town there, and said, I don't know what you'll do after NBC, but this will be the most important thing you've done so far. I'm putting a team together. It's going to be great. The work is really important. We don't have a lot of time. You're going to love the president. It's going to be great for your family. What do you say? And I realized uh, I was being asked to serve. It was a, you know, this is your country calling moment. And uh, I was blown away, to be honest with you. And it was a difficult decision that I agonized over for for a while. My family was all for it. It really was the, the call to service that appealed to me. Never in a million years imagining I'd end up at the White House. But a year after joining uh, Secretary Spellings at the Department of Education, I got the call from Dan Bartlett to come interview at the White House, and it kind of went from there. But incredible privilege. I think about it just about every single day that I had that that chance to to work for President Bush in the in the West Wing, and a life changing deal, an honor and a privilege, and a great adventure working with incredible people at, at a high RPM level, and, and having a lot of fun too. More fun than than uh, than people might think, as you remember. Oh, I I absolutely remember it. You know, as we talk about polyoptics, uh, you are. Uh, someone from whom I have learned a lot. And I know you uh, had enormous responsibility in, in all of the positions that you had. But one thing that you bring to the table, Kevin, is uh, an appreciation for visual communications, for storytelling, for what the narrative is, for what are the human elements. And as much as politics can be a fine art of obfusc- obfuscation or nuanced language, Things that resonate with people, that connect, and that make sense are ultimately what makes communication successful. And that's really, uh, I think, is what at the heart of polyoptics. And so with that in mind, I wanted to just take everybody who's listening back to um, the other night when, when we heard late on a Sunday night from President Obama that Osama bin Laden had been killed. Last week. I determined that we had enough intelligence to take action and authorized an operation to get Osama bin Laden and bring him to justice. Today, at my direction, the United States launched a targeted operation against that compound in Abbottabad, Pakistan. A small team of Americans carried out the operation with extraordinary courage and capability. No Americans were harmed. Sully, where were you and did you watch that live? You know, I had. Believe it or not, I had fallen asleep. My wife woke me up and said, look at this. You're not going to believe this. And then we kind of watched from there. I, I think that President Obama did a, did a terrific job Sunday night. The tone was right. You know, there may have been some eyes and mys in there, but I think in that situation, it's on him. He made a courageous and difficult decision, and he is accountable. And I, and I think in that particular setting, 
that didn't bother me. I, I thought you, you talk about storytelling and, 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 and using storytelling and communications. I thought one of the most powerful moments of the speech was when he said he, he, was, he was remembering the images of that horrible day on 9-11. And he said, but the worst images were that empty seat at the dinner table. And it just hits you right, right in your, right in your gut—the heartache of those kids who lost the parent, the the husband who lost the wife, and so on. And and I thought the the picture that was painted there was was incredibly powerful. I thought the tone of the speech was was terrific. The, the one thing that I would that I would say I thought it was interesting and disappointing that when he when he made a reference to President Bush, it was in the context of of declaring that we were not at war with Islam as a religion. We were at war with extremism when I thought the tip of the cap back to President Bush's administration should have been along the lines of the way that that uh, intelligence was was reformed and the walls were broken down between the various uh, institutions of government, that it was terrorism was no longer treated like a, a theft or a murder, you know, a law enforcement operation and and all of the things that led for many years uh, to, to this apprehension. A lot of the policies that President Bush put in place made that possible, certainly connected the dots, got it started. And I thought that would have been the time. He spoke later in the speech about a sense of unity. And it could have been really powerful for President Obama to drive home that sense of unity by sharing uh, that that moment. Not a jubilant moment because we're talking about a murder. It was it was different than, uh, you know, it was, it was jubilant in a way, but, but it, it, there was a sensitivity there that I think could have been shared a little differently, a little more completely with President Bush. I understand the politics of it and why it didn't go that way. But overall, I thought he did a terrific job uh, with the speech. And I think the White House communications team has done a nice job beginning with Sunday night and all week with, with uh, as they laid it out, you know, culminating with the uh, 60 Minutes interview that, that will, will air uh, uh, tomorrow. Kevin Sullivan, former White House communications director, joining us here on Polyoptics, Sirius XM 124. Sully, I would say that I agree with you on every single one of those points. I uh, was here on POTUS on Monday morning talking to Tim Farley on the morning briefing and gave the president particularly high marks uh, for looking directly into the camera, which is something that he doesn't often do, and speaking directly to the American people. I felt like there was just one person in the room for him, and that was me. And I hope that Americans felt that way because the commander-in-chief was really trying to speak to every single one of us. Who, who was watching. Sully, one of the things that has been going on this week, besides um, letting the American people and the world know exactly how these events transpired at a level of granularity that you don't usually get from the stalled helicopter as they were uh, in the insertion phase of the operation to the specific moments in details of how the SEAL team went into the house what they found as they ascended and then into the master bedroom, as it's been described, and found Osama bin Laden. Uh, this element of communication is very tricky. When you're getting a story that is still developing, it's fluid, the details, as we say, are, are dynamic. Uh, there was one or two uh, misstatements that have caused issue. Uh, speak to that for a second uh, from a communications perspective, having been in the job and trying to relay uh, a chain of events to the American people in the world and the challenges that that, that poses. Because there are a lot of people who had something to say about this from cabinet level sec- you know, people all the way down to the press secretary and the national security advisor and that staff. You know, it's a, it's the fog of war. They're the early details in any chaotic 
situation are often off a little bit. And you can see how on Sunday night, when you're told he used a woman as a human shield, I mean, that is a, is a powerful, dramatic element. And I can see why they would, if, if somebody said that, why they would jump on it. So I don't fault them for, you know, some of those wrinkles being cleared up. They cleared them up quickly. Uh, you know, there was no attempt clearly to paint a more dramatic picture than, 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 than truly existed. I just think those are, those things are always part of, of the, of a, of a chaotic, you know, you know why situation. I asked that question, Sully, and I, I know that everyone's a critic and we're not here to, to criticize, but to sort of take a look at the best practices and describe uh, to, to our listenership here at Polyoptics how these images and this communication can be so profoundly important, uh, you know, in the near term and the long term. The Bush administration had a similar incident with uh, the friendly fire killing of Pat Tillman, and that was a powerful story that was told and it turned out the original first telling that was given voice by the white house was not accurate and there was a lot of things that went around that did you tackle that kind of i know that wasn't necessarily in your bailiwick but uh when you were in the chair but but that is the kind of thing that you're you were in a position to protect the president to say look we really need to get these things straight and how we tell a story when we do it who tells it makes a huge difference doesn't it yeah the the pet settlement thing was was before my time but but it's a team, you know. The president has has you know concentric circles of advisors, and on the communications front, in our time, it was you know Dan Bartlett and Ed, or Ed Gillespie after him led the led the led the way, uh, and then I worked alongside the press secretary, and then we had people like like you and the great Jeannie Mamo and Kathy Martin and Terry Tiber and others, uh, you know who who came through there at various points, and and all of us would would work together. Uh, you, you want to protect the president. And I think in the Tillman case, the president was given bad information. And so often, as it happens, you know, the president is the one that goes out and says the words. And it was somebody else who checked off on that language being in that speech. One of the things that's, that's uh, you know, we're talking about how important the images are and the storytelling and the pictures, but the words also have to be precise and on, and on target if the president of the United States says them because they carry extra extra weight. Not that you can't go back and, and fix something because we're human and things things happen, but you know it, there's an extra burden on the staff people to make sure that that what they're signing off on is is uh, is true. A picture, they say, Sully is worth a thousand words. Well, the picture that uh, we now know exists of Osama bin Laden after having been shot and killed. Uh, has, it has been decided by the Commander-in-Chief, by President Obama, that this picture will not be released. Um, I think that a lot of people across the world are clamoring for it, that they want to see it. There may be even to some extent a morbid curiosity there. I wholeheartedly agree with the decision not to release this photograph. What is your take on it and why? I think, to be honest with you, I think it's it's an easy decision not to release it to me because what you know it's not going to satisfy the the uh, conspiracy theory nuts because it's not like you couldn't doctor a photo. Uh, that's right, the, and there's uh, stuff like that already out there on the internet anyway. Yeah, that's that's right, and and all it would do, you know, does is it going to do any good for us to have T-shirts and coffee mugs and billboards and all manner of tchotchkes? While it may it may sell enough to to help with the national debt, but, you know, I, I just don't think that would do anything but incite our enemies further. And not that they're already incited. You know, furthermore, the Al-Qaeda 
uh, spokesperson, if there is such a job, can you imagine having that on a business card? Yeah, that's. But, that's... but the Al Qaeda spokesperson is saying that Osama bin Laden is dead, and there's you know they're marching in the streets in certain places because he's dead. So well, we don't need more like, evidence of it. Yeah, we don't need more evidence that he's dead. And and so what good does it do to put out a picture that's going to be disturbing and graphic, and and then would be misused in in all kinds of ways, unfortunately. Uh, and and I think you know let let some time go on. I'm sure eventually. And you wonder in the era of WikiLeaks uh, if they really can you know keep these things under wraps. But uh, someone, uh, one of the pundits uh, earlier this week said, well, the JFK assassination autopsy photos are out there, but they weren't released for I want to say 20, 25 years and, until after the widely anyway until after the assassination. And I and I just think let's take a deep breath. I think the president made the right call. What good could 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 come from it. The uh, the show you're listening to is Polyoptics on POTUS, Politics of the United States, Sirius XM 124. We're joined by Kevin Sullivan, my former boss, former director of communications in the George W. Bush administration. We're talking about Osama bin Laden, but I want to take an opportunity to turn a little bit towards strategy and tactics around the 2012 race. Uh, one of the things that I think folks inside the White House are starting to contemplate right now is what momentum exists right now and what potential uh, new questions being begged about the U.S. Uh, relationship with Pakistan and the future of the conflict in Afghanistan. Sully, where do you go from a communications perspective? There's a bounce out of this. We're seeing it now in the polls, but quite literally people are also taking a little bit more note of where we are and what we're doing than I think they have in recent months. Well, I think the bounce in the polls is is uh, to, was to be expected and is legit and 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 understandable and and all that. I think he, you know there was a about an eleven percent or nine percent gain in job approval from last month, according to the New York Times CBS poll, uh, and and that's to be ex- expected. The question is how long will it last? Because ultimately we will move on from this, and it's back to budget and jobs and gas prices and those kind of things. And ultimately, that's what the president will be judged on, and that's what the candidates will be evaluated on in terms of their positions. I don't think this will have a huge, huge effect, although it's a great plus for the president, definitely helpful, great thing, and he deserves kudos. But I'm not sure when we get down to the uh, into the heart of the, of the 2012 uh, election, really into the cycle, how much of an afterglow there will there will be from this? It's funny, you know. One of the the jokes among the uh, and the gallows humor among the White House press corps when we were at the White House, when Osama bin Laden in the hunt for him would come up, inevitably somebody would say, "We all know that you've already got him, and Karl Rove is keeping him in his basement, and you're going to wait till the most politically opportune moment to uh, to uh, you know bring him bring him out into the open." And everybody would laugh and and, and that sort of thing. But it, it really is something that I think. Uh, the political bounce will be short-lived, uh, you know, because the tension will be turned back to the economy and, and jobs and gas prices and and the budget and cutting spending and those things. You know, it's funny. Uh, I know when we started talking at the beginning about that national address on Sunday night, that the the mys and eyes of the speech, uh, the president referring to his role in all of this. Uh, was something that didn't disturb you. Others have had a different view. I'm not sure where I stand on that at this moment, except to say that there is, and perhaps need be, on the part of the most astute uh, political operatives, an appreciation that 
every word that is uttered uh, now is is a potential fodder for a television ad, and uh, whether it's for or against, you know, everything has to be focused through that lens. Uh, but lest we slip too far into politics and, and shy away from uh, some of the, the, the communications and, and polyoptics elements of even mounting a campaign, as, as I've, we've talked to uh, Ed Gillespie so recently on this broadcast, uh, Kevin Sullivan, the the issue becomes helping people understand what the message that the president is bringing forward really is. And usually that's something that's visually stimulated. If it's on a, a cover of a newspaper or if it's a picture on television and we don't really understand or have an opportunity to hear so much of what's being said in the reporting, this president has not made a very good use of imagery or messaging in his speeches. He's starting to do so now. Uh, how important is that in your mind? And is that something you've also noted uh, for, for Barack Obama in his first term? You know, I, 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 I haven't noted it in a serious way. I think he doesn't do it as much as President Bush did, maybe even going back to President Clinton and, and all the way back to President Reagan. I think the, there's no question that pictures are every bit as important, if not more important than the words. Oftentimes people remember the words when they're supported by an image, you know, and, and I think uh, you know, I think I think that is that's always been the case, and now with technology and 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 Twitter and everything else, it, it's 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 more so the case because so much of what, how we spend our time online are are dominated by images and video. So I think I think the president has to support his message, and you know, going forward on this topic, you know, in terms of you know reminding people that just because Bin Laden is gone doesn't mean that the threat is over. Uh, there, there will have they'll have to look for ways to include images and storytelling and and those important visuals in that as well. I'm glad you you brought up Twitter because it's sort of the anti polyoptic tool. It's it's just 140 characters, but it is a way that people communicate. Especially uh, as a case study, what happened on Sunday night. Uh, it it was a profound influencer and communications tool for getting this word all the way around the globe, wasn't it? Well, yeah, you know, Dan Pfeiffer, the White House uh, communications director, tweeted an hour and a half or two hours before the speech that the president would be addressing the nation. So that's how the White House notified, uh, among the ways the White House notified uh, the, the public that this was coming. And it's an incredibly powerful full tool. You know, almost 4,000 tweets per second during that period of time when the speech was going on in that, that kind of hour window uh, after, the, after the speech. Incredible. It's like, a you know, it's a wire service now for 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 all of us, it's like and a wire service for the average Joe. It is, and and Joe uh, the tweeter, Joe the tweeter, and, you know. And interestingly, if 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 you saw the story in in USA Today on Tuesday about the 33 year old computer programmer in North Pakistan who who is you know there at 1 a.m. and he's hearing helicopters and he starts to tweet, uh, you know, this is unusual. I'm hearing helicopters at 1 a.m. And he 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 tweets a play-by-play of the raid, not knowing what it is. Uh, and the next day, had 75,000 new followers. So you that know. is the most remarkable, and and probably for the military and for people uh, who carry out clandestine activity, one of the scariest things in the world. I mean, everything could have gone south. I mean, he was better at picking up what was going on around him than Pakistani air defenses. They didn't know our guys were there till they were gone, and here was a guy sitting there tweeting away. To wrap it up, Kevin Sullivan, uh, I, I want to just uh, talk for a second. Uh, we're here 
going into what I believe is day 837 or 8 of the Obama presidency. We've got about 550 some odd days until November 6th, election day 2012. And the president made this week his first trip to Ground Zero uh, in New York uh, to lay a wreath. Uh, Obviously a, a poignant thing to do in light of what's all transpired here, but are you surprised at all that that uh, coming on the 10th anniversary of 9-11, the president is just now making his first trip as president to uh, Ground Zero? You know, it's funny. I hadn't thought about it in that context that he hadn't been there yet. I, I think it's 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 good that he went. Uh, I'm not surprised that President Bush declined to go just because he, he, he has chosen, for the most part, to stay out of the spotlight. I thought the invitation was, was gracious, and I know it was appreciated uh, by President Bush. Uh, you know, I think I, I don't I don't know why he did, didn't go on the anniversary last year. I don't remember what was happening then or where he, I guess I just observed it at the at the White House. But, you know, President Bush didn't go every year either. You know, I, I think it's it's probably fine. I think the important thing is, is, uh, you know, that that things be treated the proper way on the on the 10th anniversary. And, I, and I'm sure they will be. And, and th- those are powerful images that come from those trips. And getting back to your point about polyoptics. It's it's one of the reasons why it, it that's more effective, obviously, than doing it on the a moment of silence only on the South Lawn. You can find him on Twitter at K Sully K S U L L I E. I don't know if he is worthy of seventy five thousand new followers by the time this airs, but <laughs> I'd say yes. You can also reach him on the web at ksullivancommunications.com. Kevin Sullivan, what a great pleasure to have you on Polyoptics. Thanks for being here, and I hope you'll come back again. You got it, Belmar. Thanks for having me. An amazing week for all of us as we watch the President of the United States give us the details of public enemy number one and uh, his killing. It's a powerful word, and it is something that we don't want to talk about with our kids, perhaps. But I do want to share with you the fact that what transpired on Sunday night was something that I was prepared to execute against for two years serving in the White House. What happened? when out of the blue, the word came that Osama bin Laden had been killed or captured. Clearly, the President of the United States needs to convey this information to our nation and to the world. And as we've pointed out so many times on polyoptics, best laid plans better come with a backup plan. And when the President of the United States travels internationally, you can be sure that an issue or scandal or some sort of element that you didn't expect is going to dominate the headlines and perhaps force the president into a situation on a tightly scripted schedule where he needs to stop down and talk to the world, even when he's 12 hours ahead of us or six hours behind. And so this was something that we prepared for ad nauseum when I was in the White House. Where would he go? How would we do this? What would it look like? What time might it be? You know, if he's on a tarmac and there isn't little time, what's that going to look like? What if he's down in Crawford at the ranch or he's at Camp David? Um, and ultimately, these weren't things that were going to be within our control. We needed to be ready at any time. Um, I share this with you as a personal remembrance of what it is ultimately to serve the President of the United States and try and serve our nation. Uh, it's a point of greatest pride for me. But I think all of us think about the men and the women who serve in uniform and those who are on the front lines, the SEAL team members who risk their lives and train so hard to go in and execute this mission, not knowing what they would be confronted with or whether or not 
the target that they sought was actually there. We owe a great deal in this nation to the people who sacrifice on our behalf. And I want to take a second to remember all of them and their families and to think a little bit more and a little bit harder about what politics of the United States is really about. It should be about common cause and about bringing the best out of people and our democracy. I think we can find common ground in a week like this one when everything stopped and everybody had a chance to take stock. We come together in the weirdest times and the weirdest places and singularly through the President of the United States, it often crystallizes into uh, a mission for all of us going forward. And I hope that's what we found this week. Uh, I am Adam Belmar here at uh, Sirius XM Washington, D.C. studios. You are listening to Polyoptics on POTUS, Politics of the United States. We hope you'll find us at polyoptics.com and be with us next week here on POTUS, Sirius XM 124.